Dealing with stress is an important part of any career. But when you're an investigative journalist, the stakes are about as high as they can get. Between adversarial politicians, defamation lawsuits, and even death threats, journalist Nick McKenzie has seen it all. And Nick is not just any journo. He's the winner of 14 Walkley Awards, Australia's highest journalism honour and is perhaps most well-known for his investigative work exposing war crimes in Afghanistan. So how does he stay focused on the work at hand? And how does he make sure he's not putting himself or his sources in any more danger than is absolutely necessary? And perhaps more importantly, how do you keep yourself sane and healthy when your average workday is so incredibly stressful? Nick's been wondering that himself, and the solutions haven't exactly come easy. My name is Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organisational psychologist and the founder of behavioural science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. Before I hit record for my interview with Nick... He was telling me how he's been reevaluating the way that he works a lot over the last two months. And so this is where the interview kicks off. I've worked at a frenetic pace for 20 years uh, and sort of every, every year I've said to myself, geez, I've got to slow down. Um, but I think you get addicted to, well, you get addicted to the adrenaline of the high pace of working itself. You get addicted to success. You want to maintain that bar. I think it's a real, real trap for people, actually, when you do. I experienced very early success in my career, almost from the, the time I began, and then sort of relentlessly have tried to maintain that level of, of, of output and, and achievement. And I think over time, sometimes you lose focus as to why one is doing that. So as a journalist, it's very easy to cling to the cliche of, and I do believe this, that my work matters, that I try to make the world in small ways a better place, that I'm performing a, a great community service, and that journalism, it can really matter in profound ways to people who don't have a voice, and it can matter in profound ways to holding those with power accountable. But I think you've got to be honest with yourself, and as you get older, you become to begin to say, well, is this a bit about my ego? Do I want to remain really successful because it's about my identity and who I am? Now, if that's the case, how healthy is that? And if you're working intense hours at an intense pace, that's going to have an impact on other parts of your life outside of work. So you begin to, to ask yourself, is it all worth it? And how do I maintain a work-life balance? So what was happening for you in, in your personal life that made you do a bit of a rethink on work habits? I didn't realise this was going to be a, a psychology session. <laughs> uh, listen, I think uh, I've, I've said to someone the other day, there's that great little sort of comic or meme of a, of an animal sitting in a, holding a, a cup of coffee, sitting in a burning house saying, everything's okay. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes your life can be burning on the outside. We have relationships, you've got kids, you've got a whole range of things that can sometimes be placed in the to-do basket while you're focusing on your work. And I think lots of people with stressful, busy jobs can feel that. Uh, but over time, if you don't get to that to-do basket, then time passes by uh, and you become, you know, you, you, as, as your kids get older, you get a, a better sense of, well, actually, I, I want to shift my priorities that's easy again to say, and we know that we all must do that, but doing it 
is is the catch for me i love my work or mostly i love it the intense highs are like no other job i guarantee you i mean lots of people have exciting jobs but when you're a journalist on a big story you know chasing classified information with sources who could go to jail for speaking to you there's an element of, of danger and threat sometimes and you feel like your work matters it's absolutely addictive so you want to keep doing it it's like it's almost like a drug it's very easy if you're addicted to that rush uh, and, and you're passionate about what you're doing to always say, well, tomorrow I'll calm down. Tomorrow I'll, I'll attend to this other thing that's less exciting, that's more mundane, but, but quite possibly more important. And then the months tick past and the years tick past and you, you're left after, after years saying, geez, I've got to get to that. And I think this is where people, I'm 42 years old, people then... Uh, look at their life at this time often and say, well, how do I how, how do I readjust that balance? And for me, the question is, is it about letting go to some aspects of my career and how my my work defines me as a person and, and trying to build those other parts of me or, or, or tend more consciously to those other parts? And maybe that pays a dividend in my work as well. I'm not sure. So what are the changes that you've decided to make? Well, I've had a few ideas uh, and it's about applying them. You know, it's easy. It's very easy to to think uh, we, uh, people who work as hard as I do and as uh, intensely as I do are often super aware that they need to, to uh, tend to those other areas which they neglect. But it's really easy to do so in a cheap and meaningless way. So let's give me an example. Oh, yoga. I reckon yoga is going to be great. So I book a new yoga course. I go three three times for a six month course and never again. And that's happened a few times. <laughs> uh, oh, this I should see a psychologist. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that'll be. I'll go to a psych. Go twice. Good session. Uh, you should go ten times. You never go back. Uh, so meditation. Recently, I've, I'm going to start meditating. My mates have told me what benefit it gives them. I wake up most mornings with a, a fair bit of anxiety. I've got so much to do. How can I cram it into one day? Uh, and my strategy has been to use that anxiety and that energy and passion to will myself into work, get it done. And I'm very good at doing that. Just get stuck into it uh, and I can be very productive in a day. All right, can I change that? Can I meditate for 10 minutes? Let's call it five minutes. Let's make it three minutes. Uh, I've done it. I did it four times, I think, at the start of this year. You know, four three-minute meditation classes and haven't, I just thought online, haven't done it since. Very easy to let go and the, the old work patterns kick back in. So it's, it's about, I think, and I'm hopeless at it, but actually saying, no, if I want to change the way I operate, then it's, a, it's committing to that, to that shake-up and doing so in a really, in, in a fashion that's as committed as I am to my work. So it sounds like there's been like many attempts to, to kind of change and, and start new habits, but it's been hard to make them stick. Is there, is there anything or other, you know, ideas or experiments you're, you know, they're going to engage in maybe in the next few months that, that you think could help? Because your work does sound incredibly stressful. Yeah, I mean, the, your podcast is how I work. And I came here thinking about uh, sharing stories about how I work. What we're talking about now is how when you're good at your job, you attend to other parts of your life that you might neglect. And that's a bit of a different different equation. I mean, I'm hopeless at that equation. I'm really good at, at, at working uh, 
as interestingly, my, I've got a twin brother. He's the same. I've got a sister, very successful. She's as intense and focused as me. Uh, I think it is applying that same rigor and dedication that you do to work to those other parts. I mean, your mental health, your sense of self, your psychology, uh, and all those things that um, are so important for a full life. Now, I've, I've been okay at doing those bits. Like, I'm great at going for a run every day. Um, and I think I've, I've without realising it, I've, I was doing that every day. A, because I find it helps me be creative. It's a great time to think uh, and to organise in your mind when you're running or swimming or doing any sort of exercise. But doing that every day, I was actually doing that to make me a better worker. And I think it's saying, well, I, I, the exercise might become, or, or meditation or, or whatever it is, to make me a better person uh, and a calmer person. Now, I, I don't know the answer to this. Is being a calmer person and a more chilled out dude, is that, will that actually m make me a less productive journalist? But maybe that's an experiment I've got I've to take on myself. And if it, if it pays a cost to my career, well, so what? Mm. I'm curious to, to dig into the runs. Um, I, I feel like I've interviewed quite a lot of people that, that use running to help with their creativity. So how do you use your runs? Like, what does that look like? Do you, do you have a problem that you plan to meditate on, for example, during the run? Or is it just an openness to ideas that come to you? What does that look like? Uh, for me, running has been almost a saviour in the, the low part of the day. So I can come in with lots of uh, energy and ideas, get stuck into them, and then you might hit a wall Either you feel tired, you've, you've got a mental block, and knowing there's a, a set time, for, for me normally it's about two o'clock, I've got my you know, five to seven K run, and it, it's about freeing the mind of those obstacles, and for whatever reason, as, the, as you're running and as the, the chemicals are kicking in, I can solve problems really well in my mind and bring them back to the office and then get things done. It also helps to, I think, rid the bottle for me, rid myself of some of the anxiety that can grow up in the day or some of the, the problems that can, can burden you and, and leave you less productive. The run almost sort of purges those. Uh, and only recently have I began to ask myself, well, well, why? What's the biochemistry behind all that? And of course, it's chemicals kicking around and it's, uh, it's getting away from the computer screen. Um, but yeah, I find running a real source of, of ideas making and it's calming as well. My, my job can be stressful. Uh, often during my run, I'll have a really intense problem and I'll be working it out as I'm running. Often I'm coming up against, say, a politician or a powerful person who's coming at me. They might have sued me. They might be attacking me in some other way. They might have stepped up in parliament and, and had a crack at me under parliamentary privilege. I'm almost mediating a conversation with them or an approach to them as I'm running. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to deal with this problem. Sometimes it's about actually you get your anger out in the run and I can be almost quasi sort of, uh, it sounds a bit weird, but I'm like, uh, it's, I'm fighting them in my run um, and then I can get out that anger and then you let it go and you get back to being a professional journalist, leaving those angry personal emotions on the shelf. Do you... Do you have any apps or anything that you use to record your thinking on the runs or do you find that it just sticks in your memory well enough? Uh, 
I sometimes write down just little little notes uh, on my phone because I carry my phone as I, as I run. Uh, sometimes, actually, I, quite often, I'll, I'll have my intention to just go for my run. It's out the office in the Docklands, around the town and back. But I'll stop after two Ks and make a phone call because it's occurred to me, I've got to, this is how I solve this work problem. This person's got the answer. And I'll just stop and I'll, I'll be a bit puffed. I'm sorry, I've been running been thinking about this, uh, have a good chat, make a few notes on my phone, start running again. I might do that three times in a run. Uh, and it can be really, really, um, you know, a really useful way of, of, of communicating and, and, you know, jotting down those ideas so they're recorded. I mean, the other key thing I do is go for runs with people. So if I have a, a source or someone who's assisting me with the story, it's actually a great way you know, they take their suit off, you know, you're, or you're sweaty, you're in your running gear. It's a bonding experience. And, you know, their mind's flowing like your mind. So they're coming up with ideas and thoughts and, and creative ways of looking at things and you're discussing, discussing them as you run. It's a great way of, of dropping the, your guard. Uh, it's quite an intimate thing going for a run with someone. It can be uh, intimate in that you can just share as you run. You're talking and there's, it, the, you know, people might look at a journalist over a cup of coffee. They bring up the work book and the pen's out, oh, geez, am I on the record? What's happening? But a run, it's much more free-flowing. Uh, and you can have a really frank discussion with somebody sort of off the record uh, in this in this running zone. So that, that can be really useful as well. Mm, love that as a strategy. I'd love to know where where do your story ideas come from? Where do they start? I, I think they start in a couple of places. Number one, there's a fundamental understanding of what I do as an investigative journalist, you know, scrutinising power scrutinising systems that are hurting Australians or not working in the way that they should, be it a political system, defence force, a health system, and then when I say those with power, those with power within those systems, be they politicians or senior public servants or senior military personnel, uh, and applying scrutiny to, the, to those entities when they're not working as they should or when they're abusing their power, when there's corruption. But the other fundamental thing of, of what a journalist does is tell the stories of the powerless uh, and tell human stories. You know, any corruption scandal will not work as a story unless there is a human story behind it. Who is the victim? What's the impact on them? How are they fighting back? So it's about looking for those sorts of stories and also having the equation in your mind, do they matter? Are they in the public interest? That doesn't mean that will people find them interesting, but will they? are they something that people deserve to know about and quite often something that people in power want covered up? Uh, so are they in the public interest? Another way of looking at that is, now, will reporting this story lead to some sort of a meaningful change to a system to make people's lives better? How do you build trust in, in those first few minutes when you're first interacting with, um, with a, a potential source for a story? Again, in any walk of life, whether you work in business or journalism or, or whatever it is, uh, no one wants to be used. No one likes... Uh, there's a transaction at the heart of many dealings that we have at, at our workplaces. You want something from somebody, put it, put it like that. But if you go in there just with that on your sleeve, it's... it's Someone will feel used. It's 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 a mucky way of doing business. We want we want to <laughs> form a, a bond, a level of a personal connection with people that we do business with, that we do journalism with, that we work with. So it's it's about connecting with someone on a genuine, authentic level. Uh, 
And you know, I do that two ways. I mean, I show genuine interest in people's lives. Everyone's life is really interesting. Everyone's got a story. Uh, everyone has a mood. That you, know, you look, whatever, you look sad today, happy day. What's going on? Got kids, don't have kids, got, got a dog. Who's your, what's your footy team? Simple stuff. But you're connecting with someone and you're remembering that those things as well. So next time you meet them, if they say, yeah, actually, my mum's really sick, been down to the country town to visit her. Two months later, you check in just, and first thing you say is, how's, how's your mum? Real uh, care for people and real connection, it's a, it's, it's a critical part of it. The other thing is you've got to give of yourself. You know, you, you've got to tell them of your stroke. Yeah, I feel like this today for this reason. Something's bad happened in my life. Mental health's not great today. I'll tell you why. You know, be vulnerable. Uh, if you are vulnerable, you can develop trust because people see you're a real person, you're authentic, you feel, you bleed, you care like they do. And I think too often in journalism, it is about the microphone thrust into somebody's face or it's about a transactional interaction. Uh, my way of going about it is a lot slower, but it's a lot more effective. And frankly, it's a lot more pleasurable for me because you do get to know people. And I have countless friends now who began as sources and I count them not just as good friends, but I know their wives, I know their kids, I've been to their houses for dinner. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's developing real human bonds and real bonds of affection for somebody who might be risking their entire career, who might be risking a jail term to speak to you. How do you know if you can trust a source or a whistleblower when, when they first potentially reach out to you? It's an extremely good question. I mean, in some ways, it's a, it's a really cliched question. I trust your source. You've got to weigh their motivations. We're taught this in school. Anyone would understand a journalist must do that. But the reason I say it's a terrific question is I actually think that we can be very poor in discerning when we're being misled as human beings. There's, there's a lot of academia about it. Uh, we have a confirmation bias when we deal with someone to, to think, if they're looking at, at us in the eye, to think that they're telling us the truth. You know, you want to believe in people's, in people's good nature. And when someone's telling you something that might be at the heart of a great story and, you know, believing them as part of getting that story, it can be very hard for the journalist to step back and to say, hang on a second, what's going on here? Even trickier when someone's telling you something they truly believe. There are people who have who have, I think, lied to me, but I think they believe their lies. And in hindsight, uh, there was signs of that, but I've only understood those signs upon reflection and when, when the lie perhaps has been exposed. But at the time, you know, if they're, if they're fully believing this bullshit they're telling you and, and they have some documents to back it up, they've signed a stat deck, whatever the case might be, you know, why, why would they be lying? Why is this person really sitting down actively to mislead me? Uh, so uh, trust, you, you want to win over someone's trust, but I often say to people, you've got to earn my trust as well. If I'm going to go on a bat for you, I need to ask you all these much more difficult questions. And I need to have that conversation with you, as unpleasant as it is. Is there any skeletons in your closet? Because if you become, go on camera, become a whistleblower, someone out there might throw out that skeleton. Just tell me now, because we can deal with it. It may not be a problem. It might be a problem, but we've got to know what it is. Uh, and you know, people, everyone's got secrets in life. Um, do they want to? Do they want to put them on the table? It's again how you interact with someone to get them to to share those difficult things. Uh, it might be with an absolute assurance that it won't go any further, but I just need to know. 
so, you know, I, 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 the more I'm a journalist, the less I trust. It's not to say that I don't build great bonds of trust in time, but, you know, I am pretty, pretty wary. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if, if you've been burned a couple of times, I've been a journalist for 20 years, I have been burned a couple of times, uh, you, you, you're wary. Uh, and that, that can be unfortunate because you can be sceptical and cynical at times when you perhaps shouldn't be. Uh, but I think it's also a good safeguard. We will be back with Nick soon, talking about how he maintains his motivation and enthusiasm for a story which can often take years to put together before it sees the light of day. If you're looking for more tips to improve the way that you work, I write a short fortnightly newsletter that contains three cool things that I've discovered that help me work better, ranging from software and gadgets that I'm loving through to interesting research findings. You can sign up for that at howiwork.co. That's howiwork.co. A lot of your stories take years to research and, and to build. And, and I'm curious as to how do you maintain your motivation and almost, I, I would also imagine, your excitement to share the story with the world when it, it may still be 12 months away. Yeah, so I've got, I think, a, a unusual brain for like detail and um, holding certain things in, hopeless at holding other things in, uh, and you know it, it's it's a it's a superpower in some ways and a great um, curse in other ways. But in journalism, it can be a superpower because I can I can retain and hold and gather a lot of information quickly and maintain it in a structured way for a long period of time. Uh, that's part of the trick, though. Um, the other part is is every day I wake up and, and actually thinking about this podcast, driving in, you know, how we work, how you work, how I work. Every day I give myself a pep talk in the morning. It's I do it every day. It doesn't often work, but it's about telling myself you know, how I'm going to aspire to a big thing today, do something great, um, uh, how I'm going to have happiness, how I'm going to enjoy this journey as hard as it sometimes can be. So be happy, be inspired, be excited. It's about reminding myself of the privilege of my job. It's an adventure and I'm lucky to be a journalist uh, at whatever stage of your career. But it's about having you know, that, that pep talk every day and that is a process you go through. It's So motivating yourself constantly and then if you're doing that, plus you've got that good capacity to hold stuff in your head, then telling those stories and holding onto them for months and then following them through and being passionate about them for years is, is not hard because it's happening, you know, you, you believe it, you're living it. Um, you know, all that said, though, it does come with a, a big cost because you can only, I mean, I'm fighting sometimes five people's battles, they're my whistleblowers or, or the stories I'm doing. Uh, and I'm neglecting other things uh, in the real world, rather than my non-working world, which I, I should be attending to, and that you know, and, and you know, uh, that comes at a cost. And I think how we work, we've got to say really the, the question should be how we live, and work's a part of how we how we live. Mm. <laughs> it's funny. I'm actually about to launch a spin-off show of how I work called How I Live, um, which goes into life and life advice more in more general terms. Um, I wanted to pick up on the pep talks. So 
Talk me through in more detail what that pep talk process looks like. Like, wh- when's it happening? You're on your own. Like, is it just in your head? Are you saying things out loud? What time of day is it? What, what does it look like? Yeah, I haven't started speaking to, to myself in the mirror yet. Uh, <laughs> it, it's in my head. Um, it's at the start of every day, uh, often just when I wake. Um, I, I often wake with a, a bit of a, well, a bit of a feeling of anxiety most mornings. Of of, or, and it can be. It can be mild. It can be. I never wake going. Ah, oh, geez, I'm so happy. What a great day! The sun is shining. The birds are tweeting. I wake up with, uh, and it's not a great way to wake up. Um, it's it's a tough way to wake up. And so it's confronting that, and then using that. It's like an energy that's churning in your body, um, which is what, what sometimes anxiety feels like. But it's using that energy, um, uh, and and it's, there's always excitement about what the day holds. Uh, and, and the conversation I'll have is is around, yeah. You know, over time, you, you can just get lost in your work practices, a through habit, uh, b through ego. And I think this is a problem for lots of people. Uh, you know, do you want to be successful for success's sake? And you realise there's a hollowness to that. You know, so what? You win a bunch of awards, big big deal. So it's about your value system. So my pep talk is about. Why am I doing what I'm doing and why will I give it every inch of my life? Why, why will I commit to it with such passion? And so I remind myself, journalism matters. I can make people's lives better. Uh, I've got a real role to play in, 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 the, in public affairs. I, I, can, I can hold politicians to account. And that's a responsibility and a privilege. But it's a values thing I'm telling myself. And reminding yourself of those core values and then fighting against those um, more selfish values, your ego, your desire to be the man, pu- pushing them aside and saying, no, this is what I'm, th- this is a satisfaction is making the world, a, trying, to, trying to contribute to the community in some way uh, and making that a real driver. And also having, for me, after 20 plus years, is having gratitude for being a journalist. So I, I say to myself, Nick, you're lucky. You get to live this adventure every day. There's lots of bad parts to it. Every day there's down moments. I can tell you it's a struggle. I have a struggle once at least once a day. It'll come. You know, there'll be a whatever. I'll get a death threat. There'll be a defamation suit, a story I just can't get up. There's some stressful event happening, especially in investigative journalism. Knowing that's going to be coming and then reminding yourself in that pep talk, have gratitude for the exciting parts of your job and the fact you can make a small difference to the community and then sort of just getting fired, I tell myself, fire myself up. Like use all, you know, I'm, I'm here for a limited time, use all my energy uh, to, to this better end to, to, and, and then um, you know, apply that and then and you go and do it. The, the, the stressful parts of your job sound very stressful. What, what does one do when one receives a death threat? I mean, I'm, I'm you know, as we speak, I'm getting a... a intervention order against the neo-Nazi who who has been threatening me and been very unpleasant. Uh, I've had to move out of my, my home after a source of mine was murdered. The homicide squad said you need to leave. I've been sued probably more than any journalist in the country um, and some very high-profile lawsuits as well. Uh, I've been pilloried in the press as a result of people attacking me who I've, who I've come after. So, you know, you attack a powerful person, they'll go to your rival in the press and they'll have a crack at you. Uh, there is lots of pressure. Um, how do you deal with it? Uh, I'm still learning how to deal with it. I, I used to just um, 
get angry, get agitated, then tell myself, right, let's use this this anger, this agitation, this this stress as I'm not going to waste that energy on something that's not useful. I'm going to use this energy to fire myself up, to just keep going and keep at it and push back if need be, or apply myself to an, the next story with, with even more vigor. Don't let the bastards get you down. And that, again, is about a bit of a self-talking, you know, channeling, using your stress as a, uh, it's, it's energy that you're, you're flying around your body. Let's channel it into something positive. I imagine one of the higher profile defamation cases you've been involved in was with Ben Robert Smith. Um, and I felt like I, I, I followed that in the media. I, I, I found that, um, you know, a, yeah, I, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what that was like for you. Um, uh, so how, like, when that is going on, and I mean, that just kept getting delayed and delayed um, and went over a, a huge span of time um, and is obviously not yet resolved as we're recording. Um, how, how do you maintain attention um, onto the stories that you're working on right now um, as opposed to letting it kind of um, get, get too much into, you know, what I imagine was a really stressful case to be involved in. Yeah, it's been five years of my life. It has been the most stressful uh, thing I've encountered in my career. We don't know what the outcome is. Uh, we're waiting for a judge to come back. Uh, if we win a substantive proportion of it, it will be uh, a sense of justice. If we don't, it's going to be a sense of, I'm not sure, I haven't, I'm still processing, because nobody knows. Ben Robert Smith doesn't know, neither do I. And of course, we respect the justice system. Uh, you know, the choice was for me, I could let the stress of that case, I was sitting in there for lots of it. It went for 101 days, the trial itself. And then the legal preparation, the fight behind the scenes was often more stressful than the trial itself. Because Ben Robert Smith's very high-powered, well-paid legal team came at us and they have been relentless and they've got public relations advisors putting out statements. And so it's been a uh, an absolute sort of warfare scenario over a long period of time. And I've got no doubt that Ben Robert Smith and his powerful backers wanted to destroy me and my colleague, Chris Masters. He said, he said as much on tape recordings, I want to destroy these guys. But we could let that stress uh, take over our lives um, and uh, or, you, or you use the stress and uh to fire you up, and I think ultimately, at the core of it, I believe in what the journalism, the journalism we did behind the story, I believe in. We we're doing our job. We we're doing a tough job. We did it to the best of our abilities, you know, with the public interest and the public's rights in our front of mind. You focus on that, uh, and then you just get on with it. And yeah, you know, not just me, the entire legal team and people in my company, we're all extremely stressed about what's going to happen. Uh, and I haven't quite thought through the consequences of, of a negative outcome, of an adverse outcome. Um, I'll deal with that when, when it comes. But in some respects, I found doing other stories and focusing on other parts of my work the saviour because I could just leave it, put, put that aside. And often I was in court and I'd be thinking of other story ideas. Sometimes I was writing stories in court about other things. Uh, and yeah, I guess the way you deal with in a high pressure job for me, it's, uh, and this is, you know, I'm not saying this is a healthy way to deal with things. I think there's many things about my approach to work that is dramatically unhealthy, but I do have a very intense ability to focus and to block out things. Uh, and I've used that to deal with this. I block out the stress of the case and I focus on the positive aspects or focus on different stories. 
but the stress is still there. You know, just blocking it out is not probably probably not the answer, which is why I'm not endorsing it as a work practice. Um, uh, but you know, if if I'm a case study of uh, of someone who's achieved some good success as a as you know, I, I actually don't think I. <laughs> I'm 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 a case study in what not to do. I think in many ways because <laughs> I have worked relentlessly for 20 years plus, and yeah, it's, when you're going at that pace all the time over a long period of time, it is tiring. It wears it wears you out, uh, and as you get a bit older, you have that ability to look back and go, "Geez, that's that's come at a cost." Um, and all these trials and you know these tribulations. The other thing I tell myself, I picked these fights. I didn't have to be an investigative journalist. I didn't have to seek you know, fame and fortune and take on the bigger stories. So you, know, you want to get in, into the uh, in, into the fry pan. That's you're going to get. It's hot in there. Um, that's what I've picked. So that's my lot. I've got to deal with it, lie in it, get burnt sometimes, uh, and not blame anyone but myself. Um, come to terms with that, and then, and then you do just get on with it. How do you avoid confirmation bias when you're researching a story? I think the most important quality in any journalist, well, an important quality is insecurity, uh, is, is, is worrying of getting things wrong. It's, it's a tough one. Lots of people in our profession are extremely, um, well, there's lots of egos out there and there's lots of pretty cocky uh, people. And maybe that's their superpower because they have this self-belief. For me, I'm paranoid about getting things wrong. I am you know, I, I I do have a deep-seated insecurity and, and anxiety in, in being a failure and stuffing things up. So I, you know, rightly or wrongly, my fear of stuffing up as a journalist is a really good barrier or guard against confirmation bias because I don't believe what someone tells me. I want to go and find a, a, a 30 sources that are going to back it up or not. Uh, you know, sometimes I can be so sceptical I won't take on something because I just think it's not true. Uh, now I've lost some stories by doing that. Um, but uh, it, it's a really tricky one in, in the way we all work. Fear of failure is one of the biggest, if not the biggest motivator going around. It's not the healthiest of motivators. Uh, but if you make a big mistake in journalism through confirmation bias, you will fail. And being acutely aware of that, you guard against confirmation bias uh, so it's that fear of failure that's my biggest guard against stuffing up. I've um, I've heard you uh, talk about when choosing other journalists to collaborate with on stories, you'll pick ones that you can have a friendly fight with. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Well, w- w- you know, we're all uh, stuck in our in ourselves, and we sometimes lack the ability to to look honestly at ourselves and say, no, you've, you, you're thinking of this the wrong way or you've stuffed this up. So finding a colleague who you respect, who's willing to... I mean, the worst thing in business and in life is the people who get the yes-men around them. Uh, and unfortunately, you see very successful people, especially in business, do that. And often they become CEOs and they, they build a... Uh, they might have, they might structure a board or or the the C suite supporting execs around them are just yes people and those businesses tend to get into trouble eventually. Uh, the same thing in journalism. If you surround yourself with people patting you on the back, your you know, your mistakes won't be picked up. So finding that person who who will challenge you and you'll challenge them, doing it in a you know, the hardest thing to give in a workplace is constructive criticism. Not attacking somebody but communicating to them in a way that will 
allow them to see perhaps a different way of doing something or allow them to improve but still feel nurtured and respected. I struggle to do it with younger people that I work with. I want to build them up, but I also want to hold them accountable for their failures. My, my partners in, in the workplace, people I work with on stories, I want them to do that to me. Uh, and I've been lucky to have those sorts of people. Um, the the older I get as a journalist, I ended up now working with people who, who are younger than me. And our profession's a very young profession now. And, and I say to I've got a new producer from uh, 60 Minutes. She's an absolute superstar. She's extremely smart, um, uh, but a few years younger. And, and you know, I say, to, I, I want you to challenge me. I want you to come at me. Don't we're gonna have a fight? We can be friends after, but we we need to have this uh, process of of friendly conflict. It can't be you know you can't be bullying or harassing or anything like that. But uh, and be you know be prepared to take on. Sometimes I'm their boss, I guess on paper. I don't see it that way. I respect your views. Take me on, and I'll respect you more for it. But being really forthright about that as well. Journalism can be full of lone wolves. Uh, and that's just the nature of some journalists. I'm not like that. It's it's much better working with someone. More than anything else, you, you share your success with someone. <coughs> Excuse me. It's much more enriching to share a good thing with a, with a friend, you know. Uh, it's like going to a movie alone that's, you, you sit there crying at the end by yourself or do you have your partner next to you? But also the, sharing the failures in journalism when things go wrong, as they always do, having someone, a good friend next to you to, to, to be a support, both ways is extremely important and and you know for me picking colleagues in my job who will support me and bring the best out of me and challenge me uh, when I need to be challenged and even when I don't and picking I call them like champions everyone should in their especially in their mid-career early early mid-career you find a champion in the business someone who's older than you and more powerful than you who's going to champion your career uh, and, and I found a few of those people have been generous enough to do that with me and they've given me my, my success because they've helped me, mentored me and fought for me when need be. Mm, love that. Nick, for people that want to connect with you or maybe get in touch about a story that they've got, what, what is the best way to do that? I listen, a simple Google of my name brings up a bit of social media and uh, Twitter and, uh, and my email and, and number. Fantastic. Uh, and I get, you know, five calls a day from, from strangers, so feel free to check in. Fabo, so just Google Nick McKenzie and you will be found. God, that sounds terrible. Google me. I don't mean that in the way it sounds. <laughs> oh, well, Nick, I've just, I've loved this chat. Um, I've got so much respect for what you do um, and, and and thank you for, for the amazing and impactful stories that you've brought to the public. Um, I know that I have, um, I've lapped up many of them um, and they've certainly changed the way I think about things. So thank you. Pleasure to be here. Wow, I walked away from this interview feeling very grateful that my work has never come close to giving me the same level of stress that Nick's delivers. I mean, can you imagine receiving regular death threats and that just being part of your job? I must say this interview gave me such great perspective around the things that I do find stressful at work and really questioning myself on whether what I'm experiencing is objectively stressful. And if it isn't, whether I'm able to do some kind of a reframe on the situation that will help me be able to tackle it with more clarity and calm. Thank you for sharing part of your day with me by listening to How I Work. If you're keen for more tips on how to work better, connect with me via LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm very easy to find. Just search for Amantha Imber. 
How I Work was recorded on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people, part of the Kulin Nation. I am so grateful for being able to work and live on this beautiful land and I want to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. The producer for this episode was Liam Reardon. And thank you to Martin Imber, who did the audio mix and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise. <laughs>